Good morning again. Hello. Oh, there, there, there you are. Um, it's good to be with you. If you're visiting with us, a uh, special welcome to you again. Uh, you can turn in your copy of scriptures to Paul's letter to Titus, chapter 1. If you do not have a copy of the scriptures, there is a stack of Bibles on the table, uh, and you can feel free to grab one and use it and take it with you. <clears throat> our, morning, uh, our passage this morning comes from Titus, <clears throat> starting in uh, verse 5 of chapter 1. Everybody there? All right, got some thumbs up. All right, let's roll. Titus 1, verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife... And his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. This is God's word. Uh, would you pray again with me briefly? Lord, I was reminded this morning of your word when you say it is the spirit who gives life and the flesh is of no help at all. And so, Lord, I pray now that you would, by your Spirit, cause this word, uh, this passage of Scripture that you have inspired and preserved, uh, to penetrate and to bear fruit in the hearts of your people. We pray that it would uh, nourish and feed us, that we would be encouraged again in the good news of the gospel, uh, that we would situate ourselves underneath your wisdom and your design, uh, particularly for the church, uh, and that as a result, our, strength, our faith would be strengthened. So Lord, do this work amongst us by your Spirit. Glorify your Son. Help us in our weakness. Give us what we need. Lord, we confess that you and you alone are what we need. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, well, if you are visiting with us, uh, you have arrived on week three of a four-week series on the very exciting topic of church government, which I know is a topic that many of you are very excited about. I nerd out over it a little bit. Uh, I hope if you've been here over the past couple weeks, you have uh, seen how uh, essential and how good God's design for the church is. Uh, particularly as we are considering the biblical office of elder. 
Uh, and we've been doing that for two reasons. One, because it's just good for us to understand uh, God's design for the church, as I've said. Uh, be, but also because in a few months, uh, the members of this church are going to be called upon to affirm uh, uh, potentially a new elder in Brian Kaola. And in order for you to be able to affirm him uh, competently, uh, you need to know what an elder is and what an elder does. Uh, you need to know what qualifies an elder. Uh, and that affirmation must ultimately come from you, the members in the church. Uh, and in our passage this morning, uh, what we have really is another outline. If, if, you, if you're reading along with me, you saw that what we have is really another outline of the qualifications of elders. And I, I, I've already preached, that was the first sermon in the series. I've already preached a sermon on the qualifications of elders. Hopefully, if you were paying attention, you saw a lot of the same things uh, repeated. Uh, repeated. Um, so I'm not going to rehash all that. Uh, you can go back and listen to that sermon on the website if you missed it. What this passage uniquely emphasizes, the reason I've picked this passage is that this one uniquely emphasizes um, something of the shared nature of leadership in the church. It emphasizes the shared nature of leadership in the church. I love team sports. Kids, raise your hand if you like team sports or if you play a team sport. Where are my kids at? Okay. You like, you like team? I, I love team sports. I like individual sports too, like if it's just you against another person. But, but there is a unique joy that comes from working together with your fellow te teammates towards a common goal. Like everyone doing their part, uh, feeling a sense of accomplishment as a team when, when you've reached your goal. I, I played football in high school, and it's a really good example of that dynamic. You know, a group uh, of, of, of 11 guys who are uh, engaged in the goal of moving the ball down the field, and everyone has a job to do. Uh, some, it's their job to, to uh, throw the ball. Some, it's to run. Some, to catch. Some, to block. And, uh, you know, in football, every, every touch, uh, touchdown is the, the, the product of a joint effort to move the ball down the field into the end zone. And what we learn from this passage, in particular this morning, is that eldering in the church is a team sport. It's a team sport. A healthy church has a team of qualified men who are working together toward the common goal of shepherding the flock. Okay, you, see, you, you heard me incorporate the, the last two sermons in that sentence, right? It's a team of qualified elders who are working together towards the common goal of doing what? Of shepherding the flock. Now, every week we've been coming back to this single sentence, which really is the main argument and burden of this series, so I'm going to give it to you again. Hopefully by the end you'll, you'll remember it, you'll just know it. Here it is. You, you, you need, I need, we need godly leaders over us who resemble Jesus and who are committed to pointing us to Jesus in everything. You need godly leaders over you who resemble Jesus and who are committed to pointing you to Jesus and everything. And in this week, I want to emphasize the biblical pattern that what we need 
are godly leaders, plural. You need godly leaders over you. We need a plurality of elders. So as we consider this text, I want you to see um, three things. And just up front, the, f- the first two points here, they're going to feel a little luxury. It's okay. Hang with me. I, I, I got I to give you some information. Stick with me. Three things I want you to see. The textual, the textual case for elders, the practical case for elders, and I'm emphasizing the s in that, the textual case for elders, the practical case for elders, and then the king over elders. So let's start here with the textual case for elders. And what do I mean by that? I just mean that we need to begin with the question of what does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible teach about all this? Many of you uh, I'm sure have been a part of churches where the leadership structure looks something like a pyramid. You know, you, you had the pastor at the top, perhaps some deacons below him that help enact his vision for the church, maybe some ministry leaders, a board of trustees, a financial board or something like that that handles the money, and then everybody else. Is, is that the pattern for leadership that Jesus and subsequently the apostles have in mind as they write about the church. Look with me at verse 5. You've got, you've got Titus open. Look there, chapter 1, verse 5. Now, this is Paul writing to another one of his uh, partners in the gospel, a man named Titus. And Paul has spent time on the island of Crete, planting a number of churches, and now he's moved on, but he's left Titus behind. He's left Titus behind to to strengthen the churches. And Paul writes this letter as an encouragement to Titus as he goes about that work of strengthening the churches. And now just by by way of emphasizing how how important this is, look, look how this is the very first thing that Paul addresses in the body of his letter. What's the first thing Paul wants to say to Titus in his letter? Look at verse 5. He says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, now what's interesting here is the word order. Paul has tasked Titus with getting the churches in Crete into order. That word order in the original language comes from the root word orthos which is, uh, it it just means to straighten or to set right. It's where we get our word orthopedic from. Uh, So, you know, an orthopedic, uh, orthopedic medicine focuses on like the muscular, muscular skeletal system. And and so the idea is something like the, the church needs to get straightened out. The church is out of joint. It's not healthy. In some way, the churches in Crete are, significantly hindered in their ability to move forward in the mission that God has given them as a church because something is is out of whack. Something is out of joint that needs to be straightened, that needs to be put in order. And what is that thing? What is the thing that's out of order? What's the thing that's out of whack? Paul says, 
you need to appoint elders. The churches don't have elders. These are real living churches where the gospel is being faithfully preached, but because they do not have elder teams, they are unhealthy and disordered. And takes special note of the fact that it's elders plural. He's saying appoint elders in these churches. Paul's expectation seems to be that in order for these churches to be straightened out, to be set right, a team of qualified men need to be installed in these churches. Are you tracking with me? Okay. Now, maybe someone will say, well, these are Paul's instructions to a particular group. You're like, maybe this is just isolated to the churches at Crete. And Paul's saying to Titus, hey, in this particular instance, you know, what you need to do is you need to put a group of elders in churches. But maybe that's not like a universal rule. Maybe that's not like a universal pattern or expectation for the churches. That would be a potentially plausible argument were it not for the fact that what we see throughout the New Testament is that this is the universal pattern for how the scriptures speak of leadership in the church. Understand what I'm saying. When, when you walk through the New Testament, what you see is that universally the expectation is that there will be a team of qualified elders installed to exercise oversight in the church. Now, I'm, I'm not going to walk you through every reference, but, but let me show you a few. And, and can I just say, it's really important to me it's really important to Trevor, it's really important to Jeremy, really important to Brian, that you see that what I'm saying comes from the Bible, right? That what's happening is not me just telling you, hey, I've got a cool idea, or look, I can put some cool pieces together and, and, and come up with something new or novel. It's really important that as a church, we see this in the Bible. So that's why I'm doing this. A textual case from the scriptures. So I'll walk you through just a couple here. In, in Acts 15, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, a council is convened to address the issue of Gentile believers. Like Gentiles are coming to faith, and it's like, what do we do with them? And so Paul and Barnabas, who was another one of Paul's fellow workers in the gospel, are going to travel to Jerusalem. And, and we read this. Now, if you want to flip, if you, if you, know, you know, want to do the old sword drill kind of thing, you can do that with me. Uh, Acts 15.4, I'll tell you what it means, but if you want to see it, I encourage you. Acts 15, we read this in verse 4. They were welcomed by the church and by the apostles and by the elders. In other words, the church in Jerusalem, okay, so there's, there's a church in Jerusalem, and this is actually very interesting. Though there were apostles in that church, so Jerusalem's like the first church, right? There are apostles in that church. That is, men who, who literally walked with Jesus. You know, disciples of Jesus who, who walked with him. Even though there were apostles in the church in Jerusalem, they still appointed elders. And no doubt some of the elders were also apostles. But evidently, in the church in Jerusalem, some of the elders were not apostles. And we know that because... The scriptures make a distinction between these two groups. The church welcomed them, the apostles, and the elders welcomed them. So in the church in Jerusalem, the very first church in the New Testament, you see a team of elders, plural. 
We see that this is the model Paul has taken with him on his missionary journeys as he's traveled throughout the Greek world, planting churches. In Acts 14, Paul travels back through some of the cities that he's evangelized. So he evangelizes a number of cities and he travels and now he's coming back uh, through those cities to strengthen the churches. And uh, when he comes back through those cities, we read this in uh, Acts chapter 14, verse 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. He comes back through these cities to strengthen the churches, and, and they appoint elders. And we see this pattern regularly repeated through the book of Acts. You, you might remember about a year ago, I preached through uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians. Uh, does anyone remember how Paul begins that letter? His, his greeting begins this way. He addresses his letter to all the, the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. You know from last week that that word overseers is a reference to elders who are tasked with overseeing God's flock. So Paul addresses his letter to the, to the elders and to the deacons among all the saints. And finally, think, think back uh, just uh, to last week, to what we read in 1 Peter, to Peter's letter to the churches in Asia Minor. He says in verse 1, uh, 1 Peter 5, verse 1, he says, I exhort the elders among you, Shepherd the flock of God. And then a few verses down, he exhorts those who are young to be subject to the elders. The James 5.14, you probably remember this exhortation. If any among you is sick, let him come and have the elders of the church pray over him. The expectation is that members in a church are going to be able to come to elders, plural. So everywhere we look in the New Testament, we find the same pattern of leadership. A, a team of qualified elders working together to shepherd and care for the flock of God. And, and listen, we might think that there are more effective, more efficient, more streamlined or productive ways to organize the leadership structure of the church the burden of this section, at least, of this point, is to show you that God's word is abundantly clear on what his design for leadership in the church is. There's just no way for you to read through the, the New Testament carefully and honestly and walk away with anything other than a belief that churches are to be led by a team of elders, plural, together, qualified, men working together as a team. It's just there. The Bible, of course, is our final authority as a church, and we believe it's sufficient to tell us as a church what's best. So there's more, you could say a lot more. That's the textual case for elders. But, but now let's turn to the practical. Let me give you a practical case for elders. I want you to see it uh, in your Bible uh, you need to know I'm not just making uh, it up. But th this next layer, though, is uh, the, the, the practical benefits of an elder team. 
as I said, we might think that there are better, more efficient, or more productive ways to shepherd God's flock, but actually, no, there aren't. Right? The, the, the God's smart, right? He's smarter than us, he's bigger than us, he's wiser than us, and he knows. So, no, there aren't better ways, actually. So that idea there is, is baked into the word order. You see, Paul's exhortation is actually deeply practical. It's very, very practical. The church without an elder team is in some way crippled. It's hindered. It's, it's, it's uh, unable to fulfill its mission in the world uh, with, with, with freedom, with, with, uh, without any obstacle. It's, it's not a dead church. It's not a lifeless church without elders, but it's like a runner who's trying to run with like a bum leg. The leg has to get straightened out. The thing has to be put in order. And, and then the church can take off and run freely after the mission God has given it in the world to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. So, so what are some of the practical benefits? What are some of the practical benefits? Uh, th- there are a lot. Um, more than I have time to cover. Uh, but I want to just point out some big ones. And, and maybe a good conversation over lunch this afternoon would be to think of some others. There's literally, I mean, there are lots and lots and lots. I'm just going to give you some big ones. So the first one is more elders means more time and availability. More elders means more time and availability. The, the, fact, of the, elder, the fact of the matter is that elders are not superhuman. That's a revelation to anyone. You, you, saw, you saw my, my guitar playing. The elders are not superhuman. They are, they are finite, limited men, just like everyone else. They, they have the same 24 hours in a day that everyone else has. They, they have bodies that need rest. They have intellectual limits and emotional limits and circumstantial limits. They are dust, just like every human being before God is dust. And now what we saw last week is that the task of elders is to shepherd the flock of God. And, and that task means that they need to know the sheep that they have been given charge over. They need to know the sheep so that they can actively care for them. They need to pursue wandering sheep and protect uh, sheep in danger and provide spiritual care for sheep and so on. You know, when, when Jesus comes to uh, Peter to restore him, you know, after the resurrection, uh, Peter has uh, abandoned Jesus, you know, uh, he, he denies Jesus. And then, and then Jesus comes to restore Peter and uh, he asks you, uh, he asks Peter these three times, do, do you love me? And in and, and each of these, he, he says this, something like the same thing. He says, Feed my sheep, Peter. Tend my sheep. Feed my lambs. This is, this is the task of an elder. And here's the point I'm trying to make is that takes time. It, it takes a lot of time, actually. It's a time-intensive job. The work of eldering and shepherd the, shepherding the flock, it takes time. And more elders mean that they can share the load of shepherding the flock and can, can give greater amounts of time and energy and availability to the members of the church, which means a higher degree of spiritual care. 
And that is, after all, their task. That's their job, to provide spiritual care, to shepherd the flock of God. That takes time. More elders means more time. More availability. The load gets shared. Okay, practical benefit number one. I'm going to move through them quickly. Number two, more elders means more spiritual gifts. More spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul comes to the subject of spiritual gifts, and he says, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. To each has been given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In other words, everyone who is in the family of God, everyone who has come into relationship with the Lord through faith in Christ has been given spiritual gifts to use in service to God and to the church. That's you. Every, everyone in the church, everyone who has come to faith in Christ has been given graciously by God's Spirit gifts to use for the building up of the body. That's true of every Christian, and that's true of elders. And elder teams, plural elder teams, are profoundly helped and strengthened when they are made up of men with different gifts. You can imagine how good a football team would be that is made up of only quarterbacks or a football team that was made up of only receivers or only linemen. They would be able to do some things, but they would be able to not to be able to do many, many other things, and they would not ultimately be successful in accomplishing the goal of moving the ball down the field. And so a strong church, broadly, a strong church has a variety of members with a variety of gifts all being used for the building up of the body to the glory of God. And so it is with elder teams. And there are lots of examples of this on our team presently, but I'll give you the most obvious one. If I were left in charge of the finances, you would be in trouble. We would be in trouble as a church. It would be a wreck. Can I say this to you as sincerely and earnestly as I can? It's good that I don't have anything to do with the money. It would be bad for us as a church. It's a weakness. But where I'm weak, Jeremy and Trevor are strong. They're way, way, way more competent to handle financial things and, you know, money stuff than I am. One may excel in in one-on-one counseling, where another excels in preaching, where another excels in discipleship, where another excels in organization, and so on and so forth. More elders means more gifts. That's good for the body. That's number two. Number three, more elders means more examples. More examples. You, You remember from last week that one of the tasks of elders, according to Peter, is that they set an example for the flock. Now, one of the most sobering realities of eldering, pastoring a church is that the membership of that church will inevitably begin to take the shape of the example of their pastors. It's a sobering reality. That the church church will inevitably be shaped by the example that they have in their pastors. In other words, the church will start to look like its pastors. So, for example, if you have like a really bold evangelist as a pastor, that church will tend to be very evangelistically minded. If you have a church um, 
that has a very hospitable pastor, then hospitality will be baked into the culture of the church. Uh, you, you know, we could give lots of other examples. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong, all of the elders are called to live lives of exemplary character such that they can say, as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. But because they are men, they are limited in their examples and their examples will inevitably, inevitably be incomplete. You, you, you're tracking with me? The example of individual elders will be inevitably incomplete. All of the, all of the rich dynamics, all of the rich beauties of Jesus' character will not be fully expressed in one individual. But a group of men, more elders, means more examples. Means, means a kaleidoscope of uh, God's character being displayed and, and, and serving as an example to the flock. That's number three. Number one, number two, number three. Uh, time and availability, spiritual gifts, examples. Number four, more elders means more wisdom. More elders means more wisdom. Uh, Proverbs eleven fourteen says this, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 24, 5 is very similar. It says, a wise man is full of strength and a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. Right? More heads, more ideas, more minds on a particular problem means more means wisdom is going to rise to the surface. You got a better chance of, of wisdom rising to the surface. This is one of the most precious benefits of eldering as a part of a team. Leading a church requires a great deal of wisdom. And the reality is, is that, that God has seen fit not to deposit all of his wisdom into a single person. But that for the promotion of humility and consensus building and cooperation and sharing in these gifts, God has ordained that groups submitted to his word, working together are the agents of making wise decisions. And, and you, listen, this is, I'm not giving, this is not like rocket science. I'm not telling you something you don't already know. You, you know this. When there's a problem, if you get a group of people who have some kind of expertise or some kind of competence in that area, the more people you get in that room, the more ideas you're able to throw out on the table, that means you got a better shot of the best idea Rising to the surface. Now what that means, and this is why godly character is so important, is that means you need elders who are not afraid to speak up. It means you need elders who are going to have a kind of gospel courage to say, hey, I have an idea, maybe this could work. It also means you're going to need elders who have a kind of gospel humility to acknowledge when their idea is dumb. When their idea isn't as good. To be able to say, ah, that's a better idea. I was wrong here. Actually, I think that's going to work better. But the point is, in a group, when you have a team of qualified men, there is a greater chance, there is more wisdom than if you just have one guy at the top making all the decisions. Uh, just, just by way of example, you know, it will always be the case, for better or for worse, that when we tell the story of this church, and those of you that have been here from the beginning know this, that when we tell the story of this church, it's going to start like this. 
We planted on February 9th, 2020, six weeks before a global pandemic. That's how the story of our church begins, for better or worse. And when I tell people that, they laugh because they know how daunting it is to plant a church, let alone how daunting it is to plant a church at the beginning of a global pandemic. And I'm telling you right now, again, as earnestly and as sincerely as I can say it, if I had been a lone pastor, like just like, a, like the guy, and six weeks in this global pandemic, I love you, I would have packed up shop. I'd have been like, sorry, we tried, we gave it a shot. You know, go back to JCF Pittman, I don't know. But the fact that there was a, a healthy team of elders that could sit down and weigh through, and there were tons of things that we had to weigh through, and you know, like online and where are we meeting and outdoors, all those decisions that we were able to come together as a group, prayerfully submitted to God's word, and trust that God would supply wisdom through the team. I'm tremendously thankful for that. Had that not been the case, I really, truly, I'm not, I'm not trying to be dramatic here. I don't think we would be here today. That's number four. Number five, you guys are like, how many are there? Number five, you'll have to wait and find out. Number five, more elders means spiritually healthy elders. More elders means spiritually healthy elders. I said this to you last week, but it bears repeating. There is a profound paradox in being an, in being an elder, and, and here it is. Before elders are elders, uh, or before elders are shepherds, they are sheep. They are in the same moment shepherds over the sheep and sheep who need to be shepherded. Did you hear what I said? Elders are at the same moment shepherds over the sheep and sheep who need to be shepherded. In other words, it's not as if as soon as you become an elder, you now no longer need to be shepherded and spiritually cared for. The elder is a man who is limited, flawed, growing, maturing in Christ, and he himself needs to be shepherded. So who? the question is, who will shepherd the shepherd? And the Bible's answer is the other shepherds. You see? Again, I'm so thankful to have men like Jeremy and Trevor and Brian who are keeping watch over my soul, who aren't afraid to ask me hard questions or to press in on me and see how I'm doing to, to minister the gospel to me through all the hardships of, of ministry and, and parenting and marriage. And our marriage isn't hard at all. We have a perfect marriage. I love my wife. No, <laughs> to all the hardships of life, all the hardships that people go through, right? I think part of the reason is, is, is that there's so much burnout among pastors is because churches sometimes forget that their shepherds need to be shepherded, that they are also sheep who need to be tended to. That's number five. Spiritually, um, more elders means spiritually healthy elders. Number six, more elders means the appropriate use of authority. More elders means the appropriate use of authority. You've heard me say before that we as a culture are largely anti-authority. We instinctively resist the idea of someone having authority over us. However, in the Bible, God tells us it's good for us to be subject to authority. And that's true for elders too, by the way. Now, because we live in a world corrupted by sin, that authority is sometimes abused, even in the church. 
And we could just multiply examples of that, right? Like turn on the news, go on Christianity Today, you know, example after example after example of authority being abused in the church. And even though we have so many examples of this, sadly, many still have not learned the lessons of the past. When a man functionally holds all the authority, it will inevitably corrupt him. It will inevitably corrupt his heart and damage his witness and destroy the church. Men are not made to have an unfettered amount of authority, an unchecked amount of authority. God knows this, and he has built in a mechanism into the church to protect his people from this kind of abuse of authority. And do you know what that mechanism is? Shared leadership. A plurality of elders where a team of qualified men are accountable to one another. A team where no man holds all of the authority, but where they all have an equal share in that authority, which is to be used for the good of the body. A shared leadership is an ever-present reminder that there are limits to the authority of the elders, even over the sheep. They are meant to exercise oversight and to rule well, as Paul would put it. And what that means is that they are to use the authority that is a delegated authority. They don't have some inherent authority. It's an authority delegated to them by Jesus to use for the sake of the good of the body. That's number six. More elders means the appropriate use of the authority. And you can see, I'm giving you hangers here. I'm giving you categories. I mean, we could blow each of these categories up into their own sermon series. I'm just trying to give you some big ideas here. Number seven, you know, the Bible and the Bible, number seven is the, the, you know, it's the number of like perfection and completion. So I'm giving you seven. Okay. Number seven, more elders means a greater heart for the body, a greater heart for the church. Now, here's what I mean. The bottom line is that shepherding people is hard. Shepherding people is hard. It's, it's mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically taxing. And if you have any doubts about that or any questions about that, talk to the wives of the elders in this church. Where, can I get an amen from the elders' wives? If you are shepherding well, right? that's not, that's not, a, that's not a, a description of dysfunctional elders. That's actually a description of healthy elders. If you are shepherding well, You are deeply invested in the lives of the sheep you've been called to care for, which means you weep when they weep. It means you hurt when they hurt. It means you rejoice when they rejoice. You celebrate when they celebrate. And sometimes, and this is what I'm trying to tell you, sometimes, as much as you love those sheep, your tank is empty as an elder. Your tank is empty. You're at the end of yourself. You've poured out all you have and there's nothing left to pour out because elders are just men. They're just finite men. And in response, what some churches have done, they've just resigned themselves to expecting little spiritual investment from their elders. But I think a better answer, I think a biblical answer is a team of elders where when one is weak, others are strong. When one needs a breather, when one is just beat down, when the tank is empty, when they need to be refreshed, there are other elders who can come along and bear that load for them until they are refreshed and can tap back in. 
more elders means a greater heart for the body. It means there's more elders who can shoulder that, that emotional, spiritual load. Now, all of that is really just a meditation on what Paul means when he says that churches without elder teams are disordered. Having given you all of that, and I know it's just big headers, do you see how this model would enable churches to really run, to really be healthy, to really pursue the mission that God has given them into world, the, the world, to be what God intends the church to be? And can also, conversely, can you see how hindered a church would be without this kind of leadership? Can you see how hamstringed a church would be without a qualified team of elders? Now, very briefly, before I close here, what, what does that mean for you as members of this church? What it means is embracing God's design for a team of elders. Right? Like we want you to take seriously this process by which we are calling you to affirm potentially another elder in this church. We believe that more qualified elders is better and healthier for the church and its leaders. So we want you to take it seriously. We want you to think carefully about the people that the elders put forward uh, to be elders in this church for you to affirm them. It also means, so take seriously, that's one application. Another application would be, it also means embracing the limitations of those leaders and recognizing that they are just men who by God's grace are working uh, to shepherd by God's, spirit, uh, by God's spirit as best they can. And... and uh, recognizing their, their limitations, uh, that just means recognizing, again, that they're sheep just like you. They have an office in, in the church, but again, they're not superhuman. They're not super Christians. They're sheep that need to be, that need to be encouraged. They're, 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 you know, you cut them, they bleed, they get banged up. They need to be encouraged. They need to be ministered to. They need to be prayed for. And before I move on, I just want to say, I'm giving you a lot of exhortation here, but I also just want to say to you, uh, I think I can speak on behalf of all the elders. I'm going to speak on behalf of all the, all the elders. Uh, the members of the church, you the members of the church, you truly do make it a joy to do the work. We, eldering is hard, but we, we love you and we love to do the work of, of shepherding you uh, and you make it a joy to do it. You, you guys know there's stuff. We, we got stuff. We're a family. There's hard stuff. There's easy stuff. There's wonderful stuff. But, but you as a church, you, you are so uh, wonderful, and we love you, and uh, you make it a joy to go about this work of eldering. So, so that's the textual case. That's the uh, practical case for elders. But, but briefly before I close, can we just consider the king over the elders? It's a textual case, a practical case, but we need to consider the king over the elders. You, you see, perhaps the most important reason, I just gave you a bunch of practical reasons. The most important reason, the most persuasive case for shared leadership is that it implicitly and explicitly communicates that there is one person at the top. And it's not one of us. At the end of the day, 
there really is one person at the very tippy top of the church who has all the authority, and it's King Jesus. And when qualified men and members of a church embrace the biblical pattern for elders, they are collectively saying together, listen, hear what I'm saying. When a church embraces the biblical pattern for shared leadership, they are collectively saying to one another and to the world, we have one king, and his name is Jesus. We, we have a king. There is one at the top, and his name is Jesus Christ. A shared leadership is a way that elders say to one another and the people that they are shepherding that their authority is delegated authority. It's a way they acknowledge that they have been given a certain number of sheep in trust to steward by their chief shepherd and king, Jesus Christ. See, do, you remember, do you remember the sentence? You need godly leaders, plural, over you who resemble Jesus and who are committed to pointing you to Jesus in everything. And one of the ways that the elder team wants to point you to Jesus is by pointing to him as the head of the church, as the one, capital O, that you truly need. And and listen, if you're here this morning and you are not a Christian, I I, want to say this as emphatically and as clearly as I can. Before you need elders caring over your soul, you need a king who will rescue that soul. You, I'm telling you, you need elders. The Bible tells you, you need elders who will watch over your soul. But before you need elders who will watch over your soul, you need a relationship with the king. You need a king who will rescue your soul. You need a king who invites you to come and know him by faith. We read earlier in 2 Samuel that God promised to put the offspring of David on his throne and that that kingdom would be forever and ever. And the point is, Jesus is that king. He is the king over all people. And we heard earlier from Colossians that he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That in everything, and in everything he might be preeminent. Right? In your lives as individuals, in your families, in the church, in the leadership of the church, that he might be preeminent. In Hebrews 12, 1 to 2, we are called to lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and who is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. And you know, a lot of times we read that passage and we just read it in the singular. We read it like that's a passage just for me as an individual. But would, would you notice that it says, let us lay aside every weight. Let us run with endurance. Let us uh, run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. It is a picture of the church rightly ordered and running the race of faith. And most essential to that race is our looking to Jesus together. That's what elders, you know, if you could boil it down, that's what elders exist to do. To, to point you to Jesus in everything. 
you know, that, that word founder there, I've told you this before, that word founder is the founder and perfecter of our faith. It can be translated uh, the, the chief or the captain or the source or the head. And as leaders, it is our job always to point you, as we as a church would seek to run the race of faith, it's our job always to point you to the captain of our salvation. You see, where elders are finite in their time and availability, Jesus Christ is the God-man who is perfectly, uh, in every way, able to wield time like a tool in his hand for the good of, good of his people. You know, Jesus Christ is never short on time. He's never in a hurry. He's never flustered by the clock. When I go into meetings sometimes, I say something like, hey, I got a hard stop at 3.30 because I got to get to my next meeting or I got to get home for dinner. But Jesus will stay with you as long as you want to dwell with him. And even when your mind is somewhere else, he stays with you. He is never confused about what his purposes are in your life. He's never unsure of how to care for you. He perfectly shepherds his people by his spirit through his word and through circumstance and other people so so that his will is unfailingly accomplished in your life. The good work he started, he brings to completion. Jesus is not limited in spiritual gifts. Do, do you, see, you see what I'm doing here? The elders that find him, they're limited. But Jesus, the king, the head, he is not limited. He's not limited by having only some spiritual gifts. Rather, he's the giver of all spiritual gifts. Wherever we are lacking, in, in whatever way we are needy, in whatever sense we are weak, he is able to meet our need. He's able to strengthen us and give us what is needful. Elders are limited in the example that they can provide. And yet Jesus to us is a perfect example, exhibiting the very character of God perfectly. Boldness, meekness, truth, grace, love, justice, mercy, righteousness, courage, gentleness, patience, forgiveness. All of these find their perfect fulfillment and expression in the person of Jesus Christ. While elders often run short on wisdom... Jesus is our God, only wise, who is the source of all wisdom. He always knows what is best for us and is powerful and good to bring that about in our lives. Where elders are sheep themselves who need to be shepherded, Jesus is the good shepherd and the chief shepherd who never sleeps nor slumbers, but is always at work to tenderly and gently care for his sheep. While elders are limited in their authority, to Jesus has been given all authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And brothers and sisters, where elders are limited in their heart, Jesus' heart abounds and multiplies with love for his people. Look, here's what I'm trying to tell you. Jesus' tank is never empty. Jesus' tank is never empty, and you will never come to him and find him unable to bear your burdens or shoulder your heartache. And so it is the elders' task always to point to Christ the King. And look, we can be assured of all these things. Can I tell you what kind of king you have? You have a king who took to himself a crown of thorns. You know why it's a crown of thorns? You ever wonder why it's a crown of thorns? Do you know what the evidence, go back to the garden. You know what the evidence of the curse was in the garden? 
the ground's going to produce thorns. And Jesus taking upon himself the crown of thorns is, is a way in which we see Jesus bearing the whole burden of our curse because of our sin. He is the king who comes into the world to die for his subject. What king do you know? There's no other religion in the world that speaks of a God or a king who comes into the world to die for his subjects, to serve his subjects. But Jesus Christ again comes into the world to serve and to die, to lay down his life for his subjects. He is the one who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, but is seated now at the right hand of God. And what was the joy that was set before him? What is the joy that was set before this king? I'll tell you what it was. It, it was the joy of fulfilling the work the father had given him to reconcile sinners to himself. His joy, the joy it was the joy of rescuing you. It was the, the, the joy of saving you, of bringing you into fellowship with him and the father and the spirit. Not because you were so lovely. Not because you were some prize to be won, but because of his perfect love and grace. He conquered over your sin and the grave so that you could have him as your king forever. A gracious and kind and generous king. The one who sits at the right hand of God and who has all authority and who now rules over everything to bring about the eternal good of his people. He is our portion and rest and our king, he is the king godly elder teams look to as they seek to shepherd his flock. His sheep, which he purchased with his blood. So if we would be effective leaders in the church, if we would be a healthy church, everything we do, even in the way we organize ourselves, must cry out. All glory be to Christ the King. Everything we do, and all that we say, and all that we think, and all the, the, the things that we would give our energies to, and even in the way that we organize ourselves, the way we think about a leadership structure, must cry out, all glory be to Christ the King. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for this time. I know this has been uh, a, a deep dive into a particular subject. I thank you for... Uh, sustaining us, and, and I pray that you would bless these words uh, to the hearts of these brothers and sisters, that it would bear much fruit, that you would indeed uh, sustain us, that you would make us uh, a church that is, is healthy, that is vibrant, that is running in the race that you have set before us, uh, that is fulfilling the mission that you have given to us for the glory of your name, for the exaltation of your Son. Uh, I pray for these brothers and sisters that you would nourish them, feed them, encourage them, uh, continue to help us uh, as we grow uh, into Christ's likeness. We thank you for the promise that the work you've started in us, you will bring to completion. Lord, we pray that all of these things would be to your glory and your honor and your praise. In Jesus' name, amen.